Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Well, good morning, ladies. We have made it to the end of another semester. And all of you joining us online, I am just so thankful for your perseverance to the end. It's good to come together and to reflect on what we learned. So I'm thankful for your commitment, not only to the word, but to each other. And I hope that you have formed some really tight bonds, maybe new friendships that you didn't have when we started this semester, maybe deepened old friendships. Um, This is one of the most important elements of our time together, is building relationships in the body of Christ. Well, we have covered a lot of text, have we not? over in just 12 weeks, and I know that we might not have gone into as much detail as some of you would have liked with these two books, but I hope that studying them this way has given you kind of a new understanding of where these two books fit in as one story into the whole story of God. We've seen how Israel has moved past the time of the judges and Canaan, and now they've moved into this reign of kings in a united kingdom. This united kingdom won't last very long, and honestly, we were talking at our, in our group, this is the best it's ever going to get for Israel, and we can see how bad it was, right? But with David, this was the pinnacle of the kingdom of Israel, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse from here. So because we were able to compare and contrast Saul's kingship with David's kingship, we saw this struggle, and I hope we identified with Israel how hard it is to choose and to follow God's king rather than to follow the king that we want or we want to make God into our own image and have him lead us the way we want to be led. But we, we joined in with Israel that we, got, we have to follow God's king and the way that God is leading us. We were introduced to unlikely messengers of God's word in Hannah and Samuel and together they kind of gave us this theological underpinning of the whole story that I think is so cool. Well, we came to the climax in this story. I like studying these two books together because we saw that the climax happened at the end of 1 Samuel, the beginning of 2 Samuel, when Saul died and David took reign of the kingdom. And that helped us see that this is all about Jesus. These two books were all about Jesus. I hope you remember when we got to that part, I said Jesus had to die like Saul so that he could reign like David. And that has been such an important element this time for me in seeing that. And because of that, that being kind of the pinnacle of the book, the center point, which we learned about chiasms, that whenever you have a chiasm, the center point is the most important part. That was the center of these two books, that Jesus had to die like Saul so he could reign like David. And so we want to just consider Jesus today. <clears throat> and we want to consider him through the lens of these two books, First and Second Samuel. And so there's no better way for me. We always end this way because every book of the Bible always points to Christ. We always end with this communion meal, this meal that Jesus left for us to remember him. And so we are going to be taking these elements together today, but we want to be considering them afresh with what we have learned from 1 and 2 Samuel. So we will be seeing Christ, hopefully, in this reflection time 
together. Well, you know that I always do this to you every time we end any series. I always want to ask this question, and I want you to ask it of yourself anytime you study God's Word. How has God revealed himself in First and Second Samuel? We think these books are about Samuel and Hannah and David and Saul, but every book is about God. God is the one telling the story. God is the main character. How has he revealed himself to us in First and Second Samuel? And I hope that you talked about that at your tables, uh, but I always want to start there. I always want to think, how has God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit been revealed in what we've studied? So, I, I created a list, and this is not an extensive list. I'm trusting that in your groups you talked about things you saw about God that way, goes way beyond this list. But this, this is the list that I came up with that I want us to go through quickly together. These are some things that were impressed on me that God revealed himself to me as. First of all, God revealed himself as king. We, we started with that. We're ending with that. God always desired to be Israel's king. And he always has desired to be our king as well. And I hope that we have pressed into that and see him as king. God answers prayers. He so specifically answered Hannah's prayer, one of my favorite scenes in all the Bible. He specifically answered Samuel's prayers time and time again. He even answered Saul's prayers, but he certainly answered David's prayers. God answers prayer. God also speaks. He hadn't spoken to Israel in a long time, but he spoke to a little boy. And he said that through that boy, Samuel, he was going to speak to all of Israel. And Samuel and God's words would not fall to the ground through him. He spoke to Hannah. So isn't it ironic this little boy and Hannah, two unlikely uh, people that, that got this prophetic message from the Lord in a time where he wasn't speaking very much. And through those two unlikely people, he spoke to all of his children. God speaks, and it's in crazy and unusual ways. God chooses unlikely leaders. I think we can clearly see that in the text. He chose Eli. He cho- chose Samuel. He chose David as prophets and priests and kings. And all of those would ultimately point to the ultimate prophet, priest, and king in Jesus Christ, who would be just as unlikely. I learned that God is present with his people. He was present in the ark. He was present in the tent that would be built for that ark. But he was so present with David in unique ways on those hillsides as he tended his sheep. He was present with David in the struggle, running from cave to cave. He was present with his people in unique ways. He's present with us. God is not confined to a box. We learned that when the ark went up against Dagon in the Philistine temple. And Dagon just couldn't stand because God is not confined to that box, even though he chose to dwell there for a time. We know that God knows the heart. This is really important. We saw this when David was chosen by Samuel. Remember, Samuel wanted to pick one of the older, more good-looking brothers. And and God revealed to Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. 
God knows the heart. And that's an important thing to know about God because he makes decisions based on the heart that we just can't see. God always knows the heart. God makes and keeps covenants. He made such an important covenant with Abraham that Rebecca beautifully brought out to us. But he's keeping that covenant, this time making another one with David, that through David's line, which is essentially Abraham's line, a king will rule forever. That king will be Jesus Christ. God desires repentance. We learned that so much between Saul and David. Saul had all kinds of empty words with no no action to follow them. He showed us what repentance is not. But David, he showed us true repentance. It was imperfect, but it was true. Psalm 51 is such a beautiful um, representation of the repentance that God desires. He doesn't expect perfect behavior, as we saw, but he expects repentance from the heart understanding our brokenness. David helped us to see that. And then God desires sacrifice. We saw that so clearly with Jonathan, who sacrificed his own kingdom and eventually sacrificed his own life to follow God's true king. God desires sacrifice. God forgives. He forgives and he forgives and forgives. He's so consistent with forgiveness. We saw that most clearly with David, who had so much to be forgiven for. But at the same time, we saw that God allows consequences, and David revealed those consequences to us. We also saw, you know, tremendously difficult consequences with um, the, the Israelites who touched the ark, or who looked upon the ark, and Uzzah who touched it, and there were consequences for sin. It's so hard to wrap our mind around that God is so consistently forgiving and also allows consequences for our actions. God is merciful when we don't deserve it. We saw him show mercy to Saul and to David, even to Mephibosheth, so many more. Um, But he's merciful when we don't deserve it, and then he's just when we do deserve it. And Jessica helped us see this so well last week in understanding the wrath of God poured out in justice and in judgment, in righteous judgment. God is just And we're so thankful that he is because he poured out his judgment upon his own son on our behalf. And then finally, I just had to throw in, God is, he's so knowable. He makes himself known in all these amazing ways to us. But in some ways, he is beyond our understanding. And books like this just make me have to press into that. Because honestly, guys, Tamar and Bathsheba and those concubines of David and what they endured as a you know, thinking about them as a woman, it's beyond my understanding what they had to sacrifice and suffer for this story. But God knows, and I, and I believe that God was gracious to them and was good and restored all that was lost. And so in some ways, God is beyond our understanding. This is just a short list. I hope that you expand on this list and make a list for yourself. How has God revealed himself to you through these books, well, it requires a response. And Davis, David taught us what that response should be. It's always a response of worship, first and foremost, when we come to the end of any book. 
and we realize God's holiness, his goodness, his justice and mercy, there's nothing else that we can do except respond and worship. David gave us that example in 2 Samuel 22 when he could have written any kind of eulogy for himself knowing that his words would be immortalized. He didn't write a eulogy for himself. He wrote this beautiful poem to give all praise, honor, and glory to God. And then I don't know if you talked about this, but it's repeated. Those words are repeated in Psalm 18 so that they could be part of Israel's hymn book, that they would always sing these words of praise to God. This is David's conclusion. So I just want to read a little bit of it, and then we're going to read um, part of it together in response. But here's some of what David said. This was his conclusion. I'm looking back over my life, David says. Who has God been? The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You saved me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? That's how he started that poem. I want us to end the poem together in a responsive reading. So this is uh, 2 Samuel 22, 47 to 41. The exact same words are in Psalm 18, 46 to 50. I hope you can read it. I know it's a lot of words, but let's, let's read this together as a response of worship. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me and those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. I love how that ends, how he shows, God shows steadfast love to his anointed. David was speaking of himself, but he's pointing us to Jesus. Jesus would be known as Christ or Messiah, and that word in either Hebrew or Greek means anointed one. He's pointing without knowing it here that God will bring steadfast love to his anointed, to his offspring, to David's offspring forever, and we are the recipients so what, what a glorious thing. So I just want us to take a minute to pray, and then we'll move into our, our time of communion. God, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We exalt you. We magnify you together. There is no other response when you reveal yourself to us so dramatically in your word than to just give you glory and honor and praise. God, would you continue to cultivate in our hearts a desire to know you as you have revealed yourself to us through your word. We're so grateful. We praise you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, after you look at God's holiness, anytime you read a book of the Bible, I want you to also now consider your own brokenness. God's holiness helps you to see yourself rightly, and it's always broken. And so how has First and Second Samuel revealed the brokenness of mankind. Well, there's, there's been so many broken relationships in the world, but they are evidenced so clearly 
in Genesis 3, in the story of the fall, where you had God, this relational three-in-one God, creating man and woman in his image, in his relational image. And he gave them four key relationships. He gave them a relationship, a perfect relationship with God, a perfect relationship with self. They were naked and not ashamed. A perfect relationship with one another. There was no enmity between the two of them. And then a perfect relationship with their work. Their work was fruitful and multiplied. It was easy. But then they chose, both of them chose to eat from that tree of the knowledge of of, of good and evil. And their eyes were open and now they could see sin. And they embraced sin from that moment. And they broke these four key relationships for all of us from that point on. And it's so important that we see, we always look for these, this kind of brokenness in any story that we read in, in God's word. Remember Adam and Eve, their relationship was broken with God. They hid from him. Their relationship with their self was broken. They had to cover their bodies with leaves. Their relationship with each other was terribly broken. They were gonna be fighting for power with each other from that point on. And then their work was toilsome and burdensome. Adam toiling on, with the ground, Eve toiling in labor, broken work relationships. So let's, let's use this as a template and let's just see if we can see any of these broken relationships in First and Second Samuel. First of all, with God, I just chose a few. There, you, could, you can make a really long list here. Um, we saw Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, struggling to hear from God and to follow him as priests. They really made a mockery of their relationship with God. Saul wrestled with God. Remember when Saul just wanted to hear from God and God said no, and he was silent, and, God, and, and Saul just couldn't take it. He, wanted, he struggled with his relationship with God, so much so that he called a witch. Even David, he spent time disregarding God and hiding in Gath to get away from God. His relationship with God was broken. With self, we saw so many uh, so many examples of broken self-relationships. Hannah was deeply distressed in her barrenness. She wept bitterly. She felt purposeless. Saul was tormented, we read, by an evil spirit. Mentally and spiritually, he was just tormented. David and his men, remember in Ziklag when, they, uh, when all their wives and children were taken and the text said that they just wept so bitterly until they had no more strength to weep. They were just so broken in themselves. Absalom, his mental anguish was so bad over the rape of his sister that it led to retribution and hatred and insurrection. And then Ahithophel, he's one of those that we don't talk about very much, but he was unable to live with his shame when his advice was not taken. Remember what he did? He went out and hung himself. Doesn't this sound like our world today, the broken relationships with self. What about with others? This one is super obvious, but here's just a few. Hannah and Penina were rivals fighting for the love of one man. Saul was fueled by jealousy and insecurity, and he hunted David like a dog, intent on killing him. David desired Bathsheba, and he took her justifying and hiding his sin and ultimately murdering her husband, Uriah, one of his mighty men. What a broken, broken relationship. 
Amnon desired his sister. And he raped her. And then hated her so much after he raped her that he put her out of his house. And Absalom hated him for doing that so much that he ended up killing him. I mean, what broken family relationships. And then finally, David refused to confront and punish his sons. And so they had an extremely dysfunctional family. I mean, do you see our world represented here today? So much dysfunction, so much hatred, so much animosity. These relationships with each other are broken. And then finally with our work, Hannah was barren. She thought she was purposeless if she could not be a mother. Eli and his sons were selfish in their work. Saul and David struggled to see themselves as princes of Egypt. I'm not of Egypt, princes of Israel rather than kings. And then Ziba, an interesting little story, Mephibosheth's caretaker, he kind of tried to manipulate David's kindness and goodness and didn't, you know, kind of took advantage of his work and his job in the story. Our relationships with work are broken. So why does this matter? Well, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that for our sake, he, which is God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when we we, we realize that we are broken. We understand that Jesus had to be broken for us. And that's why he gave us this beautiful little element. I want you to just turn your element over and open up the bread side. Jesus, I mean, it's so remarkable that he would give us such a simple little thing, this meal, but he gave us bread and it was to be broken when you take it so that we would remember that he was broken for us because we are so incredibly broken. He became sin, who knew no sin, so that we might be the righteousness of God. So we consume this broken piece of cracker because we can't live without it. We can't spiritually live without his brokenness. So I want you to all just hold your little piece up high, and we're going to... Um, say this together. Let's say, this is the broken body of Christ. This is the broken body of Christ. Well, I'm so glad that the story doesn't end just in brokenness. Even though Jesus was broken for us, that was amazing. But he did something else. He gave us reconciliation with all of those broken relationships. And he did it through his blood. And we're gonna remember that with this cup in a minute. But I was to think about that. How did Jesus reconcile all those broken relationships? When Jesus um, shared this Passover meal with his disciples before he died, and he, he repurposed the Passover meal, when it got to the cup in Luke 2220, uh, Luke records him as saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus said, I'm pouring this out. And he was going to, to mean his blood. His blood was going to be poured out, spilled. And that was gonna create something new. It was gonna do something new. It was a new covenant. So let's just think about how, how can we understand that a little better through First and Second Samuel. Well, first of all, Jesus reconciled our relationship with God. 
How did we see that in, in First and Second Samuel? Just two ways I, I thought of. David's appeal to the blood of Christ in his repentant psalm, Psalm 51. In that, we understand that God spares us because this just penalty fell upon Jesus when his blood was spilled. And so remember, Psalm 51, this is one and two and seven. These are the things David said. These are the things Jesus accomplished for you and for me with his blood. Blot out my transgressions. That word means willful disobedience. Wash away all my iniquity. That means all the wickedness that we could ever do. Cleanse me from my sin. That word sin just means missing the mark. So it's really anything that we think, anything that we say, anything that we do that's missing the mark of God's holiness. Cleanse me from that. And then David said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Wash me with blood. You know, blood, blood does not wash anything. It makes it stained and dirty. And yet Jesus' blood washes us whiter than snow. And then like Mephibosheth, God gives us a place at the king's table forever. I love this imagery. It's not because of anything that we have done. Mephibosheth did not do anything. He was only extended favor because of his relationship to Jonathan, David's beloved friend. David loved Jonathan, so he welcomed Mephibosheth to the table. The father loves the son, period. God is impressed extremely with his son, Jesus Christ. And because of our relationship to him, he gives us a seat at the table. This is a beautiful image of the gospel. What about our relationship with ourself? I love, I'm, Mephibosheth is gonna come up a couple of times here, sorry. But I just love this. Mephibosheth was lame. He was broken. His society considered him an outcast. He bore shame, which is our primary self-problem. Mephibosheth bore shame. And so he was cast out. He had to live outside of the city. He was a nobody. And David bore his shame by taking him in, bringing him into his house. He, he took that shame upon himself. David bore Mephibosheth's shame, just like God bore our shame. I love Hebrews 12 that says, Jesus went to the cross and scorned its shame for us. And then like Hannah, we find security, knowing that our purpose isn't in anything that we can do, but in God in us, God is enough. Colleen helped us to see that so well. We don't have to be enough. God is enough. We are secure in him. And then Jesus reconciles our relationships with others. Like David and Jonathan, God binds us together, you and I, all of us in this room, in covenantal unity and peace through Jesus Christ. It's imperative that we get along with each other in Christ. There's no better place than Ephesians 2, 13 through 16. Talks about this. I did a lesson on this last spring. These are the words. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Of all the people in the world, we should be living in the most peace with one another because of what Christ spilled for us on the cross. And then finally, Jesus reconciles our relationship with work so that we don't have to work to try to prove ourselves at all. All of our work, from whatever, from staying home, washing dishes hundreds of times in a day, to going out and giving the most glorious uh, sermon that could ever be given, both things bring glory and honor to God equally because Jesus reconciled our work. David shows us that in his kingship. David could have made his kingship all about him. All the other, remember Rebecca showed us how all the other kings did that? They built all kinds of structures to themselves. David didn't, what did he wanna do in the end? He wanted to build a temple for his God, not for him. And he wanted to make it glorious. He wanted it to cost him everything. And so David shows us that God redeems our work so that it can all bring glory and honor to him. It's not about us. So a little bit further in, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul told us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, the new covenant. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's really important when we take the cup. Because we remember, I like these little cups. Aren't they cute? <laughs> um, I was so excited to find them. Um, because a cup rem reminds us that we are to be poured out too. Jesus poured out everything. His blood reconciled every relationship that we that we could have, reconciled us to God, to ourself, to man, and to our work. And so what we, we have to, we have to be poured out continu continuously for him, for his glory. And so we take a cup and remember that. We pour the cup, or we remember that Jesus was poured, and we are poured out. So let's open it up. We're gonna hold it up together and we're gonna say, um, this cup is the new covenant in Christ's blood. Let's hold it up. This cup is the new covenant in Christ's blood. Well, I wanna, I wanna conclude today uh, with a song that I, I hope some of you have already heard. We, we sung it at our Advent night on Monday night. Uh, it's a new song this year, and it, it, um, I think it sums up First and Second Samuel beautifully, because remember, we started in First Samuel 1 in Bethlehem at the home of Hannah and Elkanah. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, and we're ending now, launching into Advent season, where we're going to remember 
the coming of Christ, that he was born in Bethlehem. So it comes full circle. And this song helps us to see that he didn't come for the good people, because none of us are good, no, not one. He came for all of the broken, for the unfaithful ones, for the weak ones, for the barren ones. And I like this video of it because it shows people kind of being pulsed throughout the video. And what I wanna encourage you to do, we're not gonna sing it, we're just gonna listen. I want you to, as you see all these people pulsed, think about Samuel and Hannah and David and Saul and Ahithophel and Ziba and Mephibosheth and all of the people that we have come to know, that they were the ones that Christ had to come for. He had to be born. And so hopefully this can lead us into um, the Christmas season together. So let's watch this and we'll pray. i 
God, we are just moved to tears to, to know that you would come for us. That you would come and into our brokenness and you would heal it. And you would make us whole and place us in a family and give us purpose and meaning. Our work is to glorify you. And so we long to do that together. Would you help us as we leave this semester? We go to celebrate your birth with our with our families, God. We just want to bring you all glory and honor and praise together and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.